Yeah, well, I mean, chaos, it, it, it's a word for something, right? And so when I say chaos, what I see is uh, an industry ripe for consolidation, an industry where it's very clear that you will have hundreds of new players coming into it. And then the question comes up, which is... Hello, innovators. I'm Todd Wyant, and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast presented by Applied Software. You're invited to join our MEP and construction innovation adventure with the mission to propel this great industry forward. My guest today is Gil Mayron. He is the founder and CEO of Cobot Nations, Architects of Automation. Gil is a pioneer of the consumer 3D printing industry as the founder and CEO of Botmill 3D, which manufactured and sold the first fully assembled consumer 3D printers. Botmill was acquired by 3D Systems Corp. Gil continued to lead corporate development strategies for the consumer division at 3D Systems. He composed the first ever licensing deals involving 3D printing with Sony, Viacom, NBA, DreamWorks, and many others. Welcome to the show, Gil. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Todd. Absolutely. Well, how'd you get into the industry to begin with? Oh, well, uh, 3D printing, um, I got into that due to my, my older brother. He was doing his PhD in computer engineering. Uh, the local university, they had a full-color 3D printer, a very expensive one. I went over to take a look, put some Google alerts. Um, within a few weeks, RepRap, R-E-P-R-A-P, uh, was an open-source project that was developed by a professor out of uh, Austria. Uh, his name was Adrian Bauer. And uh, I contacted him and uh, got the rights to make the first fully assembled consumer 3D printer. And uh, we had a huge backlog and uh, sold the company. And uh, here I am now. So yeah, that, that's kind of how it started with 3D printing. Uh, after my acquisition was over, I sat on a few boards, uh, one for a hardware company out of Toronto, Mosaic Manufacturing. Um, I did quite a bit of work with uh, Polymaker, one of the largest filament providers in 3D printing to date. Uh, we know them quite well. Uh, I did a lot of work for HP. We even have one of their 3D printers at our facility here, Cobot Nation, the multi-jet fusion printer. Uh, but fast forward all the way to, uh, to today, uh, the reason why we got into automation was the same reason why we got into 3D printing, which was expiring patents, which was uh, incredible chaos. Uh, and so when you bring a, a straight line to chaos, usually you can figure out a way to, uh, to make something good out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh -huh. uh, what was one of the, the biggest hurdles in getting started with 3D printing? Uh, well, at the time, nobody had ever made such a thing. So the first uh, prototype I made was with a PVC pipe, a hot glue gun, and uh, you know maybe a motor or two, and that was it. And so, uh, no, there were a lot of hurdles uh, in the same way that we have a lot of hurdles that, that we had to deal with uh, here at Cobot Nation. So, um, but those hurdles could be, uh, could be a number of things. It could be monetary, it could be inventory, it could be uh, engineering, it could be shipping. Uh, each one of those printers had 1800 moving parts. So there's no way any one of them was ever shipped in any sort of normal capacity at the time. So um, a lot of things can happen, yeah. Yeah, so I, I love that line that you said a minute ago on uh, creating a, a straight line from chaos and, and making something out of that. How, is there a certain kind of thought process or culture that you need to put in place in order to really make something out of chaos? Yeah, well, I mean, chaos, it, it, it's a word for something, right? And so when I say chaos, what I see is 
uh, an industry ripe for consolidation, an industry where it's very clear that you will have hundreds of new players coming into it. And then the question comes up, which is, well, when you have so many players coming into it in very similar fashion to 3D printing a number of years ago, let's say right before Amazon put 3D printers on Amazon, you know, things are starting to pick up, consumer home 3D printer was a big thing they were talking about, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, but what, what people didn't realize is that even though in 3D printing, the chart is always going up, it's unbelievable, never goes down. But what they don't talk about is that even though it's going up, that may do, be due to the fact that, great, this year you had 100 new 3D printer companies come out. All of them follow the same business model as all the others. All of them have very sim similar technology. All of them are going to consolidate or fail, but somehow the industry continued to grow because they did affect a big mass of people. And so we saw the exact same thing here in uh, automation uh, that was spawned by collaborative robots, which is a very similar situation to 3D printing. A PhD student put together this module. This module happened to work on a few different joints, put them all together. Now you have a six axis robotic arm and, and so on and so forth. Uh, the unfortunate part is that the way that they went about introducing these arms is in a way where it kind of made it seem like it's really easy if you have a company to buy one of these things and to, to install it, to service it, uh, all the above, right? And, and that just, just proves to, to not be true whatsoever at all to not even like a 1%. So, um, so that's when, when we see something along the lines of chaos, that, that's what I look at. Uh, mm -hmm. And in my personal uh, journey, if I feel like there's a way to get something done, it doesn't really matter uh, how long it takes. You, you just kind of go, right? And, uh, and if you know you're doing the right thing, you'll see signs along the way that, 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 that confirmation, your confidence will, will, will gain. And so, yeah. so we saw that. We saw it in 3D printing. It worked out very well. We saw it here in automation. It's working out extremely well. We've never seen a business like this before. So, yeah. Nice. Well, you brought up collaborative robotics. Uh, how can, A, maybe how do you define that for those listening? Yeah. And then how can uh, collaborative robotics really help augment human capabilities? Yeah. So first off, let's define uh, what a cobot or collaborative robot is. A cobot is a machine that has the ability to work with or without a human. Uh, that's what the definition is today. Uh, at Cobot Nation, we build uh, automation devices. We build robotics. Um, the question becomes, is a six-axis robotic arm right for the customer when all they're doing is a um, painting? Uh, you know, a painting booth with like some small object. You don't need some massive arm that's, you know, twirling all around uh, to paint it. Uh, not to mention the costs and things involved there. So the way that we define the cobot is no matter what we make for the customer, if a human is involved there, uh, that is a cobot. Uh, so, for example, even a Roomba vacuum cleaner, th that's a cobot. Mm -hmm. That's working around you. It's working with you. It's still doing something. It can kind of work on its own. But, you know, it, it can have some assistance here and there. Um and then what was the, the, the second part of the question? Sorry. Uh, how does it really help augment the human capabilities? Sure. So I think that's where, where there's some interesting stuff that comes up. So in one sense, uh, you want to make sure that humans have jobs, right? You, you want to make sure that, that there, there, there's a, uh, an economy going, people are doing things. Uh, there's a reason for it. At the same time, we can't be oblivious to the fact that some of these jobs in manufacturing specifically are very mundane, very old. Uh, to be honest, they require very little brain power whatsoever because 
what that person is doing is what we're replacing with a robot and what the robot is doing we're not sitting there and programming programming in an immense amount of ai or optimization tools not yet uh, because we're dealing with you know the first few applications for these customers mm -hmm. and so uh you'll see a few things first off when a customer first adopts automation they never do the entire facility at once that's crazy it's a huge expense and you wouldn't know what you're doing you have to phase it in not only that you're phasing it in because you also want to do right by your people so some of the people where the robot may be replacing you can move them to another part of the line and maybe what they're doing now is differentiating between two products that where they were in the line, they could do it because they were human, they have a brain, they have eyes, they can do it, but maybe the robot isn't, isn't there yet, so they're gonna go and help that robot out, but no matter what, the company knows that they have maybe a 20% a throughput increase, they know that the person is not going to uh, have the same shoulder in, in, injury every single, uh, you know, every quarter, whatever the case may be, um, and we run into a lot of those kind of things. So the first step is, uh, not really how the robot can help the human, it's how the human can help the robot. And then afterwards, it's what more can you do to optimize? Because the whole thing here is that if, uh, if a company is not going to automate and they have processes that should be automated, uh, that's perfectly fine if they're willing to have their competition do it. So, uh, and what would happen if you, if you were uh, down the street and you're a CNC shop, uh, or you're, let's say you're a, uh, you know, you're some sort of a lumber uh, place, right? So, so you cut wood and then, you know, you supply it to whatever and three miles down the street, you have another guy, same thing. Well, one of you decides to automate one process and yeah, the sales cycle may have taken a year and a half, no problem. The other guy didn't even find out until you're, you were already automating. They're probably a year and a half or two years behind. And at that point, and this is what I mean, we've never seen business like this before. The customers we're dealing with, the scale is so large, we do not know how another comp competitor can come in to compete with that when they're so far behind on the timeline. Uh, once you automate, that margin increases immediately. So again, I think it's one of those things where uh, we do want to have a soft spot for, for humans. At the same time, we also need to do what's right. We need to do what's coming. We, we need to do what's going to help things in the future. And automation will do a lot more good than what the perceived initial bad may be. Hey, innovators. Is there a way to prepare your company for successful implementation of technological innovation? After over 115 episodes talking with some of the best minds in the construction industry, the answer is a resounding yes. There are building blocks that you can put into place that will form the foundation for your company to successfully implement technology. I have compiled my thoughts from those conversations into a new ebook simply titled Foundational Building Blocks for Successful Tech Adoption. You can download the ebook for free at our website, bridgingthegappod.com. After you have, I'd love to hear your feedback. As always, keep innovating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the timeline issue that you bring up is a Excellent point. We've talked about that a lot here on the show too, that if you're, if you delay the the process, it's a journey. You can't just flip a switch and, and turn everything on and expect to get the results the next day. It's, it's a journey and it's a process. And if you're not on that now, by the time that you realize that you need to do it, there's going to be people so far 
ahead of you that now you're just playing catch up to get to where they were two years ago, instead of actually competing with them today. Um, so taking that, that quick action for sure. Um, so on the automation front and kind of picturing in the, the human element, what becomes the effect on, on people's lives when, when you bring in the, the automation, knowing that there, there is that kind of, uh, fair or unfair, that, that hesitancy that people have of, oh, a robot's coming in and it's taking over my job and I'm going to be out of work. Um, how do you communicate that message to, to people to kind of calm their fears? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question, by the way. So two years ago, uh, if we were doing the same method of going out to get a, a deal, a sale, uh, the kind of response we would have received from a customer, especially when we go to do an on-site, which we do with every single customer, you have to in this business, um, you would have seen employees give you a second look. You would have seen them, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you that uh, two years ago, we had to disguise ourselves. We weren't wearing Cobot Nation hats when we walked into a facility. Uh, we weren't allowed to wear certain things. Uh, many of the companies we're working with now for the last two years still don't want us to come in and let anybody know who they're working with. But at the same time, the new inquiries that we're getting now, at least for the last six months, um, it seems to me like the uh, the companies are more apt to moving now. In other words, mm. you have enough cobots out there. You have enough knowledge out there. Uh, now they finally feel the stress. Now they feel the, the, the pressure of, well, you know, I know something's there. If I don't do it, you know, that, that college student, you know, with an Arduino is going to come out with something tomorrow. What am I going to do? And so yeah. it's, uh, and these things are, are happening. So I think it's one of those things where uh, we just need to be really careful with how we go about it. But at the end of the day, full automation is coming. It's full automation. Anything we do with manufacturing, we're, we're, we're going to the nth degree. Um, any customer that we have uh, where they only want to do, oh, we have uh, CNC's, we have presses, we have all this stuff. Yeah, we only want to automate the CNC. It's never happened. They want to mm -hmm. automate everything. And so whether we like it or not, we will need to find other areas to do things. Now, one thing I will say is this, any one of our customers who automates with us, they know exactly what the throughput increase would be. They know exactly what's happening with labor and payroll and all that kind of stuff. They know exactly how much their margins are going to go up. And the argument that we try to make to, to some of these customers, because we have nothing to lose, once they use us for a solution, that's it, there's nowhere else to go. The argument we try to make to them is this, uh, many of them have an issue with raising minimum wage, yet you're automating, yet you're increasing throughput, yet you're getting rid of people, but you're not going to raise the minimum wage. So there's certain things that I want to point out there that it's, it's not really, you know, just a human fault. The companies could be doing better. They could be doing more. They could be doing right. And not only that, usually when automation comes in, yes, you can make the assumption that now these people need to learn how to operate the robots. The fact of the matter is, is that these robots operate quite well on their own. You don't want somebody to touch them because you could you could potentially hurt it. Um, but what that means is that these humans should be going into other skilled areas that don't involve as much manual labor. And these areas should be substantially higher in pay, substantially. Um, and so, again, the misconception is that uh, because I do something where I take this item and put it here, I should only get paid X, yet now they're bringing in a robot and they have absolutely nobody else to pay anymore and the whole thing is paid for. They're only making profit now. The companies need to do right by the people.
Yeah. So you said that, you know, in, in the last kind of six months, there's been a, maybe a, a shift in uh, perception, if you will. What do you think is kind of sparking that in the, the recent trend lines? I think they're embracing it because now they know they have no choice. I also think that politics plays a big role in this. Uh, for example, even us, where we go to buy raw materials around the world and things like that, we've had to rethink about how we go about doing things. It's not just us. Every yeah. manufacturer, every construction company out there, everybody has the exact same problem, uh, specifically on logistics. And so the, these things are playing a part, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. So looking out kind of the next maybe five, 10 years, what role does robotics really play in manufacturing and construction? Uh, I think robotics and manufacturing will play a role of greater than 70% of automation in all manufacturing throughout the course of 10 years. I think the adoption rate is going to be way faster than whatever we think. So if we're throwing out numbers like 10, 20, 30 years, I think we should be throwing out numbers like uh, 24 months, 36 months, five years at the most. Um, the things that we're doing, the mandates that we're getting from some of the customers, some of our mm -hmm. customers have 600 plus facilities. And then we'll automate all of them by 2025. That's not an easy endeavor. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not that far away. <laughs> 2025 is pretty close. <laughs> There's reasons for this. So, and construction would, would certainly be able to, to resonate with this one topic. Many companies out there, whether we like it or not, uh, are unionized. And mm -hmm. so when you are a company where maybe some of the facilities are unionized, some are not, but you've got the same process everywhere. And now you, you find yourself in a position where I know I have to automate, but how do I navigate this one situation here where we have all these people and, and they know what's coming and we know what's coming, but we have no idea how to, to navigate that. And so this is why the response that we're getting from a lot of these companies who have scenarios like that is how fast can you get the whole thing done? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because they're, they're, it's fear. It's uh, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what would happen if we automate only one facility, wait three months, and what happens with that personnel? Are, are they going to walk out? Well, what's going to happen there? So we need to go as fast as possible. So it's really interesting to see what you know, fear, pressure, things like that do to people. Um, and we're seeing in a very big way. One Another item would be this. If uh, any manufacturing or construction order things from China, you know, that's fine, except for, you know, now you have dollar limit risk endeavor. So if I were to go and spend um, $2 million on inventory from a company in China, how do I know a sanction is not going to come up today? Uh, you right. know, and there goes my $2 million buff and I didn't get the product. We're, we're all, you know, incredibly happy. So it's a, <laughs> so it's a whole, a whole thing, but, but these are real big issues happening out there. And so, uh, yeah. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So with construction and manufacturing, you know, those lines are, are really starting to 
to blur. Construction is becoming a lot more manufacturing centric. What, what does the, the merger between those two industries really look like for you? Sure. So uh, my one example that I can give, obviously coming from 3D printing, uh, I've seen an immense amount of, um, I like to call them crane extruders. Uh, they're just really large extrusion uh, type devices. Uh, we've seen other companies like Local Motors where they were 3D printing full cars. So they put an extruder on a, uh, on a shipping container and they built the car within there. And so, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think when you look at uh, manufacturing and construction, uh, if I had to make a, a, an educated guess, I would say that we will see uh, a lot of modules start to come out much, much more. These modules in the past may have looked a little more like, um, I don't know, RV types or things like that, right? But, uh, but now I think you'll see that these modules are, are so high tech, so advanced, so much more cost efficient and so much easier to construct and put together. So in other mm -hmm. words, you're not sitting there on a piece of land putting up a, a pile of wood and then, you know, cover everything you need to do. Uh, robots have the ability to do it. Not only that, uh, I would imagine it was maybe three or four years ago, talk about timelines, where at CES, uh, we're in Las Vegas, so we have a beautiful, uh, you know, we can go into to all the trade shows if you want to, but we're at CES, they had uh, some construction equipment out there, so we're talking about heavy machinery, no humans on it, uh, and they were able to identify the different types of, uh, let's call it dirt or soil, or whatever the case may be. They were able to dig at different tolerances. They were able to make it perfect, the, the piece of land. Um, and they really opened your eyes to, to what's to come there. And I think you're 100% right. Manufacturing is getting a little more into construction. Construction kind of got a little bit more into manufacturing. And you're kind of wondering, well, what happened to those uh, jobs where, you know, that one guy came out and painted the whole house and, and the whole thing. Um, we just don't see it anymore. Uh, so, I mean, even for, we're actually working on a painting application right now where, I mean, it'll be very easy for us to paint a room with just a robot and, you know, control stick. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think maybe the, the biggest lessons that each industry can, can really learn from each other? Oh, that's a great question. I, I don't think I would have an answer there. I think one thing I could uh, could say just to to fill in some white space. <laughs> but one thing that I could probably say here is, look, in 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 three D printing specifically, um, we do have to have uh, uh, at least an awareness of caution due to the fact that yeah, you know, yeah, it's it's pouring concrete, but you know, how how did they they, they get that to go through that extruder? What else did they put in there to make that happen? And what's that really going to look like in 20 years when the sun has hit it? And so I think there's a lot of unknowns. I think we can see the, the pieces to the puzzle kind of come together. Uh, and, and in me, in my mind, that comes together in lower cost, higher adoption, um, faster to market, all those kind of things that we look at in like software and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I think we undoubtedly we will see automation will play a part. I think 3D printing will probably play a little bit of a faster part. I think you have other methods out there as well, uh, which uh, we'll see to, to play very interesting parts. So we've seen brickling robots, um, which are extremely sophisticated, by the way. We're not talking about one brickling robot that makes a whole house. We're talking about like a swarm of robots that make the whole house. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and these things are, are there. And, and if you can imagine, 
whoever did that, it, it's not that difficult to to understand how how that could be the case with uh, drones as well. So you know, all these things play a part. But I think to 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 what one can learn from it, I I don't think I'd be an expert enough to uh, to, <laughs> to answer the question. So. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So uh, I I could give you kind of all power on innovation, and you sure. could innovate one thing in the industry. What would you choose to innovate? I would choose to do exactly what I'm doing. Uh, and the reason for that is because what I'm doing now, we're, we're automating whatever we want to automate. We're going after any industry we feel that is behind, that we need to push a little further forward uh, is no problem. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I'm innovating exactly the area where I feel like I should be innovating at this moment in time. Uh, the deals that we're getting are larger than any deals we've ever seen in, in the history of manufacturing, uh, maybe not in the history of construction, but <laughs> that's a little bit of a different story. Um, so no, I, I think we're, we're on the right path here. And I think it's, it's one of those things where right now, today, the collaborative robot is, is loosely defined as a six axis robotic arm. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised what that looks like in 24 months or even 18 months for that matter. Um, we build gantry systems for customers. So systems where it's almost like an enclosed box, uh, but that's where we do the automation. So we didn't need a robotic arm, but we just had something else, right? So we call it gantry. Mm -hmm. These gantries are going to look like cobots too. And, and well, what's the difference? And so um, I think we're going to see a lot of robots start to come into uh, into our lives. And I think the, the question becomes, how long is it going to take us to be acclimated to it? So, yeah. Any guesses there on how long that acclimation process will take? Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're going to force it upon people, but you know, aside from that, no idea. So, <laughs> I'd like to say yesterday, but that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, how do people find out more information on you and, and Cobot and connect with you? Sure. Yeah, no. Uh, so Cobot Nation, obviously our website, uh, we have a wealth of information on there. We, we try to pride ourselves on putting more out there than what anybody else would do or our perceived competitors would do. Um, LinkedIn is a great way for somebody to get in touch with me. Uh, if anybody goes uh, through any of our channels, so Cobot Nation, we have Instagram, we have LinkedIn, we have Facebook, everything. Uh, they can always get in touch with me any which way. I'm sure somebody here will, will pass a, a note off to me. No problem. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, final question for you. What does innovation mean to you? Oh, that is a great question. I, I have never been asked that question. I think what innovation means to me personally um, is the ability to push forward with new logical ideas that have an effect on maybe a specific industry, specific demographics, something like that, um, at your best possible ability, as fast as possible, as logical as possible, as, as resourceful as possible, um, all those kind of things. And, and that, that's really, uh, well, that, that's what I believe. So I don't know if that applies to innovation, but uh, I think uh, the way I was raised is uh, if you believe you can do it and you have a logical way to get there. So it's not just like, oh, I believe I could be a pro tennis player, but I'm, you know, like five foot seven. Like, no, you know, you may want to think otherwise. If you could believe you can do it, if there's a logical plan to get there, even if it doesn't follow that exact line, uh, you're probably in the money. So, yeah. Nice. I like the the logical component too. It's not just kind of pie in the sky. There's, so. yeah. there's yeah. be a plan to get there too.
Oh yeah, no, that that would be a good thing. Yeah. So. Nice. Yeah. Well, Gil, thanks so much for uh, talking with us today and, and joining the show. Todd, thank you so much. I thought this was uh, was was great, and uh, and best of luck to to everything in the future. And so yeah, we'll we'll talk soon. Thank you. And now it's time for my Todd takes from this episode. First take. I really resonated with Gil's line at the start of the show to create something out of chaos. Construction at times can seem an industry with chaos infused in the DNA. However, that just means there is a tremendous opportunity to innovate and make something incredible. Second take, if you don't start automating tasks where need it now, your competitors will. Remember, it is a journey and not as simple as flipping a switch for innovation. Don't be one of those people that realizes they're in catch-up mode and two or three years behind everyone else on the transformation path. Final take, innovation must be paired with a logical path to get there. Take time to plan your innovation and be intentional. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you are interested in learning more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at asti.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anytime by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. As always, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Bridging the Gap is hosted, directed, and produced by Todd Wyant. Edited and produced by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2022.